Pray with me again, church. Father, we are thankful, Lord, that you have called each and every one of us to yourself and salvation. We're thankful for the gospel. We're also thankful that you providentially have put us here in Gallatin together at First Baptist Church. Help us to think through what we believe together and to be edified in those truths of what we believe. Would you be with us uh, in our time considering our church doctrine today? We say this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we continue on in our series through our church doctrine, we come now to Article 11 of the Baptist Faith and Message 2000 on evangelism and missions. And just to make a note here, um, as a Baptist church with Great Commission focus, we're not going to see anything new that we haven't believed and considered, prayed about, engaged in. Because as Baptists, as Southern Baptists, we believe in evangelism and missions. It's kind of in our DNA, right? And this is a good thing for us to be considering. And also, just by way of uh, making a connection to some of the new members that we've received this past uh, month, uh, each of our members are, are looking at our church doctrine as well as our church covenant. And these things cause unity. When we agree and believe things together, it causes unity. When we agree to live in a certain way in our church covenant, it causes unity. So considering these things, it's a blessing for us here, but I just also want to make mention that these resources and our church covenant and our church doctrine, even these messages, uh, have some, some benefit for future members as well as they get to know us and what we believe and how we live together. Uh, these are useful for new believers and people that aren't uh, as comfortable with maybe Southern Baptist doctrine and things of that nature, they're able to learn more and more about our church. And that's a good thing for us because as we believe together and live together, we, we are united together on mission together. And the Great Commission, evangelism, missions, this is part and parcel of our church. We've studied through this in multiple ways. It's come up already. We're in Article 11. But this Great Commission emphasis, if you remember, has come up in messages on the doctrine of salvation how people are saved, and, and, and the doctrine of the church, uh, the doctrine of baptism, if you remember. This came up there because it's in the Great Commission as well. Uh, aspects of the Lord's Day, what we do uh, on the Lord's Day in terms of our worship, and even on the kingdom of God. This emphasis is not new to this series or our church, right? Because we are Southern Baptist evangelical believers who have these convictions built in. We're Great Commission Baptists, and that means we're evangelistic, we're a missions-type church rooted in these Great Commission realities. That's just a theme even in our services and Sunday morning and sermons we've looked at. Uh, we've seen this in a Great Commission sermon, uh, specifically on a Sunday morning. We've seen it in other aspects of our Sunday morning preaching even recently uh, as we dealt with um, a variety of, of, of commitments of our church, uh, seeing that the Great Commission is one of the commitments of First Baptist Church of Gallatin. And so this isn't new, but we want to see what the Baptist faith and message says so that we could just be aligned together and on mission and, and, and going the same direction together. And this leads us to consider our convictions to point Number one, to see in our Baptist faith and message, that is, number one, the great, it's the Great Commission 
commandment. It's not a suggestion, right? It's a commandment from Jesus. Let's see it in the Baptist faith and message. This is what the first part of Article 11 says. It is the duty and privilege of every follower of Christ and of every church of the Lord Jesus Christ to endeavor to make disciples of all nations. Duty and privilege, it says. And in Matthew 28, this is a common theme and important passage of the Great Commission. It says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Of course, we saw recently in Acts 1.8, it says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is a key aspect, the Great Commission. Commitment of our church, we've seen it in multiple sermons, even very recently this past month, which is why I think this article specifically, on this specific Sunday, pairs well with what we've been looking at in terms of Great Commission giving and gospel-motivated partnerships, as we've seen This past month, even as in the cooperative program of the SBC, we are cooperating in a variety of ways, um, both local, domestic, and international as a local church with other local churches. This is an aspect of us together fulfilling the Great Commission together. So it's not a suggestion, but it's a commandment. And it's not a commandment just for our local church, but for every single local church. You show me a church that has abandoned the Great Commission. And I'll show you a church that's not a church, right? Because we've seen, even in some of these these, uh, sermons, that this reality of the Great Commission is is right here locally and then also domestically and internationally. it, it, It hits on every aspect of what we do and why we do it in terms of our local Church, it's, it's Great Commission evangelism. It's Great Commission missions and outreach that we are a part of. It's this discipleship even. We've talked about discipleship in the local church. None of us have arrived as disciples obeying Jesus, right? In the Great Commission, it says, teaching them to obey all that I have observed, talking about Jesus. That's a lifelong task. Isn't that a task that we do in each and every one of our local churches? What is it that we do here in our local churches from our preaching ministry to discipleship ministry to everything that we're doing in Sunday school and even in our pioneer clubs and youth ministries? and What are we doing? We are teaching people here at this church to obey and observe all that Jesus has commanded, the law of Christ, as we've recently seen. This is built into who we are, and it's not a suggestion, but it's a command, and we want to be obedient to the command, it's not a take it or leave it thing, but it's the mission of the church. And thankfully, this is what our church has been founded upon, and we continue to have it as our priority now as well, both doing discipleship ministry here and supporting other missionaries who might go to the nations or go other places by God's grace for his glory. And it's a duty and it's a privilege. This is... If you're a Christian, this is not 
something that we roll our eyes about. This is something that we base our lives on. And I know that's true about all of us. I'm just glad that we as a local church are prioritizing that kind of discipleship ministry in our church and also partnering with other ministries to cooperate and hold that rope, so to speak, for those who are going. We do that in the cooperative program. We do that in a variety of partnerships motivated by the gospel. Not only is that true about our church, and we've seen it in morning worship and evening worship and business or members meetings, but we see it here in the Baptist Faith and Message. It's important for us to see. This is what the doctrine of our church teaches. And I think as we've seen from clear teaching of Scripture, it aligns with the Bible, that emphasis and that focus. What a blessing it is that we are a church that sees this as our mission as we, we focus on that going forward. And really on that note, this leads us quite naturally to our second point and number two. See, we're born again to see others born again. Let's see that in the next point of our Baptist faith and message as well as it continues on. It says, the new birth of man's spirit by God's Holy Spirit means the birth of love for others. Missionary effort on the part of all rests thus upon a spiritual necessity of the regenerate life and is expressly and repeatedly commanded in the teachings of Christ. Let's look at 1 Peter 2.9 to see this emphasis. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Do you see that? We're chosen to proclaim. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. You see, First things first, we are born again to see others born again. Our church covenant bears this out as well, right? We, we, we don't call unbelievers to be evangelizing. And I don't know about any of you, but in my testimony, maybe this is true of your testimony too, pretty sure every one of us, when we were unbelievers, we're not out sharing the gospel, caring about the Great Commission. That's just not how it works. God has to do a work in our heart first, then we care about these things. So if God's working in your heart, we're going to care about these things. And, and what a blessing it is to see that in our church covenant and, and see it in Scripture, that this could be the focus for us together, not because we have to have it our focus, but because we want it to be our focus, because we love to see other people born again. We're excited to see people saved. We hate to see people lost and dead in their sin, going down paths and roads that we just know is just going to be to their destruction. We don't want that. We want their salvation. We, we, don't, we don't want to avoid that because we've been saved. If you have a new heart, if you've been born again, this is where you're at. This is where I'm at. This is where we are at as a church. We're converted, and then we care about these things. Because we're born again, we want to see others born again. This is so clear. This is why we consider giving to, to our church and to missions and to the Great Commission tasks. This is why we love these things. It's because we're saved. That's what Christians do. That's what Christians care about. 
The Apostle Paul appeals to believers in the New Testament. Everything about giving is gospel-motivated. This is why we emphasize gospel-motivated giving here at this church, because it's not obligated, twist-your-arms giving. You know, if it was unbelievers, you'd have to obligate and twist arms because they'd have no heart to want to give. They'd have, they'd have no heart to want to do this ministry and to see it be done, to care for uh, the Middle East or the Great Commission or anything of that. In fact, People would never want to go overseas in a variety of ways. Have you ever seen an unconverted person decide to move across the country with their family for the glory of God? No, it just doesn't happen. Believers prioritize these things because they're transformed. They're born again. Nothing could change. We've heard it in countless testimonies from Scott visiting and, and sharing about the work that God did in his heart to, 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 to lead him and his family to Southeast Asia. We heard about it with Sam and God's work in his heart to lead his family to the Middle East. We can hear it over and over. Even before I came here, we've heard it from the Laneys, God working in their heart. They're born again to see other people born again. And churches get behind that. Christians care about it. Why? We've got to be saved first in order for us to care about great commission realities. It's so important. 1 Peter 2 that we just saw emphasizes that, right? It, it emphasizes that, that we are a, a, a chosen people, a, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. Why? We, we are people for his own possession to proclaim his excellencies. And, it, and he, he points out right away, once you were not my people, but now you are. Once you, you were not of me, but now you are. That's an important transition for anybody to care about these gospel truths and to have urgency to get behind it in their own personal lives, uh, in, in whatever context that they're at, in their local churches, in their domestic context, or in international contexts. This is what we are together for. This is what this Baptist faith and message puts forward. Oh, that we might see people saved so that they might want to see other people saved. Is that your heart? If it is, that's what the Baptist faith and message teaches. I think that's what the scriptures teaches. And I think we're all like-minded on that reality. This leads us to our third point and number three. How do we do this? We do this by a verbal gospel preaching or verbal gospel proclamation. Let's see what the Baptist faith and message is. The last part of the BFNM on this, it says, the Lord Jesus Christ has commanded the preaching of the gospel to all nations. It is the duty of every child of God to seek constantly to win the lost to Christ by verbal witness undergirded by a Christian lifestyle and by other methods in harmony with the gospel of Christ. I think this is a really helpful point. Let's, let's see in Scripture this urgency as well in Romans chapter 10 and verse 13. This is what the Scriptures say. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Isn't that a great truth? How then... Will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Is Bible-believing, gospel-preaching believers here in a Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church, in a church tied with the Baptist faith and message that, of course, is conservative doctrinally. We have this distinct kind of confessional beliefs. We believe in important things like the atonement of Jesus and the Trinity, and there's certain things that we, we don't shy away from. We say that we believe these things. As a church like that, we even expect our members to hold to these things as well. We hold these things. We hold each other accountable to these things in terms of meaningful membership, 
And what a blessing it is that we are a church that, that upholds good doctrine because we believe as a church in the necessity of the preaching and teaching and telling of the gospel. Did you know some churches don't hold to that? Why do we believe it? Because we believe in the exclusivity of Jesus Christ, that he is the only way, the truth, and the life, just like he said, that salvation by trusting in Jesus and the gospel, that gospel-motivated justification we've been seeing in Galatians, that that is the only way to avoid eternal judgment. We believe that from our church doctrine. We believe that as a church historically. So this means we also believe in hell and future judgment, just like we saw in Article 10 on the last things. We just saw this last month. But because we believe that he's the only way and that people are perishing, all people, without him, and that there is a hell and there is a heaven, all of those things that we believe leads us to the reality and convictions together that we know that our biggest problem and every other person's biggest problem in the whole world is their guilt, is their sin, is their separation from Jesus Christ. This reality This conviction, it makes sense that it would inform our mission and our focus and our methods, doesn't it? It would make sense if someone has to believe it that we would want to proclaim it and we would see the necessity of proclaiming it. You see, liberal churches who deny the exclusivity of Jesus, that he's the only way and truth in life, teach that there are other ways to be saved. Like some teach that people can be saved in their non-Christian religions or cults, for instance. By just being basically good people. But what they're doing is realizing that there is no basically good people, that everybody's sinful in need of a savior. So people that are going to say things like, oh, all religions could find salvation in some way, that goes against what we teach here at this church, and it goes against the Baptist faith and message. Uh, And this idea that if people would just be sincere uh, and for this type of thing, and somehow, you know, God will forgive them and these types of things, you know, These are false teachings, and you know what? It affects missionary urgency, evangelism urgency. If you felt like people were all going to be just okay, would there be any need to share the good news of the gospel to lost, perishing people? Would there? There wouldn't. Not to your kids, not to your neighbors, not to your friends and coworkers, not to anybody, not to your spouse who's an unbeliever. You'd have no need because you'd say, eh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter. You know, there are liberal churches that teach that kind of thing. It's destructive. We actually have members interested in coming here to this church in, in, in the future uh, in, in opposition to liberal teaching on a variety of different things because they, they want truth. They want Bible. They don't want this, this soft, uh, uh, politically correct, culturally uh, focused doctrine of the world because the doctrine of the world is in op- opposition to the doctrine of the Bible. And so we need to put this forward because it matters. And, and, you know, did you know that there are churches that teach in this universalism that there is no hell, that everyone's going to be saved in the end? They deny hell for a variety of reasons. There's no reason to share the gospel if you have that mentality. That's not what we teach in terms of our church doctrine. False teachers And false churches don't care about preaching the true gospel because in their mind, there's no urgency because all will be ultimately saved. And you know what? That's a false gospel. It's it's so far from the truth, and we need to put forward the true gospel and the true doctrine based on the true word of God. And I hope that we can see as a church 
that the gospel is necessary to be verbally preached because people are saved by the gospel message, not by simply being nice and and sweet with people alone. Now, we want to be nice, we want to be good friends, we want to be good neighbors and family members, and we should live a life that's attractive. Don't get me wrong, but no one's going to get saved by your niceness. Have you ever heard a testimony of church membership or baptism? Could you imagine someone in the baptismal waters and said, I was saved um, because someone was nice to me? And then the church would be like, okay, did the person nice to you at least share the gospel? No, no, they were nice to me. Would you know anything about Jesus that he was sent to save sinners and that he died as a substitute for sinners? I don't know anything about that, but I just know a nice person. And, And Does anybody get saved by our niceness alone? No, we want to be nice and kind and loving and attractive in that way, but we also want to share the gospel. This is why the Baptist Faith and Message says that, because there are some people that teach, oh, they have these methods of evangelism and methods of, they think, ministry that is just all about just being nice and never saying hard things from the Bible. The Bible has hard things, and nobody's getting saved without hearing the hard things of the gospel, that we're sinners in need of a Savior. This is important for us to put forward. I'm going to close here with a a quick illustration of this to show us, hopefully, the importance of sharing the gospel for people to be saved by judgment in hell. Even a secular atheist like Penn Gillette from the well-known duo Magicians, Penn and Teller. Has everyone heard about Penn and Teller before? You see, they're unbelieving atheists. They do not love God or worship him. But even from the mouth of an unbeliever like like him, like Penn, listen to what he says on this topic from an unbeliever. I think it'll illustrate what we've been seeing this evening. This is what he said. I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. Everybody know proselytize means evangelize, right? I don't respect that at all, he says. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think people shouldn't proselytize and who say, just leave me alone and keep your religion to yourself, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not Tell them that. I mean, if I believed beyond the shadow of a doubt, he said, that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe that truck was bearing down on you, you didn't see it or believe it, there is a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. From an atheist, communicating how important it is if we really believe that. Do we really believe that? Do we believe in heaven and hell? Do we believe in the salvation through Jesus Christ alone? If we believe that, we're going to be truth-telling people, and we're going to live attractive lives as Christians to to befriend the lost and also proclaim the gospel to them and preach the true gospel to them as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what we've considered this evening and evangelism and missions and We're thankful, Lord, that we can agree together as as Baptists from shared doctrine and be encouraged and edified together. Would you take whatever was spoken today that was was helpful and true and from your word, would you take it and 
and press it on the hearts of everybody who's here that we would live with a kind of urgency and a heart for great commission realities, for evangelism, for missions, and that you would unite us together in unity on these things. Say this in Christ's name. Amen.